Welcome to We Are TV. I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number 15 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world, is Inception. Released in 2010, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Ellen Page as the leads, Inception is a science fiction action film written, produced, and directed by Christopher Nolan. Now, some of you might have noticed that, or you probably just never noticed, that just before I said that this is the number 15 movie on the IMDb, even though this is episode 14. And last week when we covered Empire Strikes Back in episode 13, it was rated number 13. It's as if we missed a movie. But actually, in the last few days as of this recording, a little movie came out in cinemas called Avengers Endgame which currently is rated at 9.1 on the IMDb. We put a post out on social media, um, This, and I'm going to read what the post was, just to explain to those listeners as to why we skipped a movie and we're not covering Endgame. So here's what we had to say in regards to that movie. Avengers Endgame is currently rated 9.2 out of 10 by IMDb account holders. The only film ever made that is rated higher than that is The Shawshank Redemption. This has led many to ask whether we will be covering Endgame soon on the podcast. But since it's mostly MCU fans who have rated this, all around the build-up and hype, the current score is inaccurate to what the general public think of the movie. Waiting up to six months to review it will show it fall from this peak and plateau to a score it should really be sitting at. With more than 12 months since Infinity War was released, it now sits at number 61 of all time and not number 2. You might have to wait a while until we give our impressions on Endgame, as time is always needed to accurately review a good movie. We stand by that. So, are looking forward to hearing our episode on The Avengers Endgame. You're going to be waiting a little while. Well, say six months from now, it has dropped down to 25 or 30, right? That'll be a much more accurate representation of where it actually is. It will. However, six months from now, we would have probably passed 25 or 30 episodes. So I was thinking, and I have been thinking for some time since we started this podcast, because Infinity War is still quite up there. It's number 61. And I want anyone who is listening to this to please comment, because I'm not really sure what to do. In order to watch Avengers Infinity War you kind of need to watch the first 19 films or whatever. Danielle hasn't seen that many. Guess what, y'all? I haven't seen barely any of them. Yeah, you've (laughs) seen like the first Iron Man and Spider-Man Homecoming, and that's pretty much it. Maybe Iron Man 2. You're not up to date with your MCU. This is going to be a Herculean task to try and get caught up just to see Endgame and Infinity Wars. So I want you guys to tell us what... Do we do? Do we force Danielle to watch 22 movies in six months? Or me, who has seen them all up to and including Endgame, to discuss with Danielle, who hasn't seen the movies, and she watches it as a raw film um, without any context? Is it is it okay to watch Infinity War or Endgame without having any MCU knowledge? Probably not, but that could lead to a good discussion i think a good movie should stand alone to some extent 
In preparation for Infinity War when it came out over a year ago, I actually watched the first 20 MCU movies within a week, which is about three movies a day every day for seven days. Um, I was studying at university at the time and I had a week off. I wasn't working and you were out of town, so I had nothing better to do. And I'm like, you know what? I hear Infinity War is good, so I'm going to watch all those movies. And six months doesn't sound like a long amount of time. And I'm sure a lot of people who went and saw Endgame did binge watch the whole MCU before it. So it doesn't sound like such a big task, but we're quite busy. And we already watch a film every single week in order to do this podcast, um, adding an extra one in there. If we watched one a week, it would take six months just to watch the entire series. So it's it's not really easy to binge watch the entire thing. And that's where the dilemma lies. But... I, I honestly don't know what to do when it comes to the Avengers movies because we'll probably have to cover them at some point because both of them are in the top 100. I was going to say... But I don't know like, what to do unless we force you to watch them all. I think I think we're going to have to end up watching them all, or I am anyways, because um, I don't think I would get the experience as it was intended, like the best experience, unless I watch them all because I'll be missing yeah. pieces. I'll be, You know me. I'll be sitting there and I'll just be like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, that's you know. That's so, and I don't want to go into it like that, but I still want to know what you guys think we should do. Yeah, give us some pointers here because holy crap, that's a lot of movies. You have to go into it as if it's a TV series, and this is the season three finale. I just feel like it's such a commitment. It I, is. It's twenty-two I films. Have relationship issues when it comes to movies i have major commitment issues i don't like to start series unless i know i'm gonna like them which is like kind of rude on my part well you kind of gotta love something to go into it that completely makes sense yeah like i was nervous when we started star trek like you said you were really surprised when i liked star trek yeah but star trek the, the new series is only there's only three movies that's not a big commitment star wars is and we started we started Star Wars because that was the pop culture phenomenon that I needed to experience. And I think the MCU is the biggest pop culture phenomenon of today. Yeah, so I think I think I'm just gonna have to bite the bullet and do the damn thing. But let us know what you think, y'all, because I mean we're at a loss here. It could actually lead to an interesting conversation if you've never seen an MCU movie, and I have, and you watch it. And you give us a, your perspective on that film. Mm. You can have quite an interesting, I think, pretty unique, because I think that everyone else who is watching Endgame has seen the previous movies. So maybe is it like, I should watch it and then go back and watch everything? Maybe. I'm not sure. I said to you after I watched Endgame, that movie makes reference to every single film you in know, the MCU. You know what I think we should do? I think we should make a poll on Instagram. I will when it comes closer to it. Yeah. That's why I want everyone who is listening to this to please reach out in some way and say, you should do this or you should do that, because it's it's just a big task for you to do in a few months. And also, everybody, like if you don't have any way to reach out to us over social media, you can email us too. You can comment on the website, right? Yes, you can comment on our WeRDB website. You can comment on SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Email, we are Danny say, Brenton at gmail.com. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm not really sure how to handle this we whole Avengers your help. thing. Um, no, but I do think, even though uh, Inception was number 14, as of last week, it is now currently 15. And after more people rate it accurately, 
um, it will lower. Yeah. Currently, Endgame is sitting at number five. I checked it this morning. In the next week or two, it'll drop. It'll drop probably to number 20 in the next couple of weeks. Mm. I think it'll end up sitting around the 30s, maybe 40s. When Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out, it came down to like number 24 on the list. It is now sitting at like 70, I think. Mm. So as more people rate it accurately without the hype and all the buzz, we explained all this in the in the introduction episode. I recommend to go listen to that. If you as, want to understand more about how the mechanics of the IMDb yeah, actually we, work. Yeah, we always said that we will update our list as time goes on, but we won't review a new movie unless at least six months has gone by in order for that peak to die down. Yep, because it's just not accurate. So this is number f- number 15 on the IMDb. In the next couple of weeks, it'll probably go back down to 14. But uh, let's get into it. Cool. Let's talk about Inception. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, and it won four. Which ones did it win? I know it won for Best Visuals and Sound Editing. It's Best I, Visuals, I can understand. I can understand that. And you saying Best Sound Editing, I'm trying to remember what the soundtrack and stuff was like, and I, I actually don't recall. It wasn't overly noticeable it's Hans Zimmer again because he loves to do Christopher Nolan topics um well and my comment to that was going to be I think that means that it was done really well because because you didn't notice it exactly um so when I said visuals and sound it was cinematography and visual effects that's two and sound mixing and sound editing so it was two for visuals and two for sound I think it definitely deserved it for cinematography there was some cool shit in this movie. I wanted to say this very much feels like a Christopher Nolan movie because of the yeah. sound, because of the actors, because of those shots. I always get it mixed up with Shutter Island because we watch them back to back and they've both yeah. got Leo DiCaprio in it. Um, but I wasn't familiar with Christopher Nolan at this point. I hadn't seen a lot of his movies. I have now. And so I definitely can appreciate that comment that this definitely seems like a Christopher Nolan movie because it really does. Yeah. There's just something about it. It's a realism, but it's it's like a little, there's a little spin on it. You know what I mean? In all of his stuff, like even in Batman too, it's realism and some of the shots he uses, he really goes into, like this, you really felt Cobb's memories. You know what I mean? Like just, yeah. and you could tell how he was feeling and thinking just by some cinematographic shots. And I think that's something that Christopher Nolan is really good at conveying. It kind of reminds me of some of the sequences in Fight Club in the sense that they're filmed in such a way to make you feel like the protagonist. Those shots make you feel like you have insomnia. You're you're losing mm. your memory because it jumps and it and it cuts in such a way that it makes you feel that way. And Christopher Nolan is very good at doing that as well, particularly in this film with the the confusing memories and things. You don't really know what's real. I remember thinking in the opening sequence I remembered back to the first time I I watched this because for whatever reason, I remembered a lot of this movie, which I think is interesting because it can be really freaking confusing. And I just sat back watching this a second time and I was like, this is so hard to follow, just this opening sequence because you're like, what the hell is going on? You haven't been introduced to the concept yet. I think he does that intentionally, though. Oh, yeah. It's much much better on a second watch. Um... I saw this when it first came out in 2010, and I don't think I've seen it since, which is surprising. I really like this movie. And I like, I I really appreciate, and I think this is another thing that Christopher Nolan does really well. I like it when you can 
jump into a built world and it's fully formed and it doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. You know what I mean? So this is a concept like dream, what do we call this? Dream exploring or dream? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you pretty much figure out and understand the concept within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Mm. And there's not a whole lot of, this is how this works. You know what I mean? I think there really is, though. I was looking for it. Ellen Page's character represents the audience. Everything that is explained to her character is the audience, right? They're going to yeah. be asking these questions and explaining how it goes. Now, Cobb and Jason Gordon-Levitt, they're explaining how everything works throughout at least half of the movie. I think it was a little bit too much, but you kind of need that for such a confusing movie. But that said, it was done in a way that I really appreciated because it didn't feel like they were spoon feeding the audience. Okay, I think it was there definitely for quite a long time, but it wasn't a spoon feed. And it needed to be because sometimes, you know, you see they'll do this with um, with narration, which is is just too much. Or another one that I'm kind of thinking about for whatever reason, The Hunger Games pops into my mind because that's really dystopian and, and something you need to understand what's going on and it's brand new and you don't know what it is. And so you're learning through kind of forced dialogue. You know what I mean? Yep. And so I appreciate that this was done in a way where it's like someone's like, I don't understand, tell me. But it's not like we're gonna we're gonna shape the dialogue so that you learn. But this isn't actually something that would be said. They did it in a way so that like this is absolutely what would be said, and that's why it felt so much more natural. Okay, that's you know a I very mean? good point because yeah. you could have had those expositional conversations and the narration. You could people usually but do. I, I hate that. That's thing. cheap. It is because it's like. I hate when I sit back and I watch a movie and I'm like, you'd never actually say that. Yeah. You know it's what like, I mean? You see those like establishing relationship things. It's like, father, yes, son. And it's like, okay, I get it. You're a father and son relationship, but you don't need to do that. Because no one actually would. That's lazy screenwriting exactly. 101. Whereas with this, she was a student. She was asking questions she would have actually asked had okay, she been I'll, in that Okay, I'll completely situation. give you that because I was thinking it's it's a bit much that you keep like spoon feeding us a little bit, but it's like no, it's not. It's done in a very clever way. That that's the best way that the screenwriter could have possibly exactly. Done it. And yeah. I like the feeling of these movies, like when movies do explaining in that way, mm. because then it doesn't. It feels like I'm fully immersed in it. You know what I mean? It feels like I jump into it fully formed and yep. it's happening as it actually would. Because it kind of and breaks like the fourth that. wall when you're listening to narration. It's like, what am I watching? Or even when you're just watching something, like it just, it's like, oh yeah, this is a movie because this would never actually happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas this, like the way they did it, maybe this is a technology that will come into existence. We don't know. Anyways, I just, I wrote down that I... I like this movie for the same reason that I like Arrival, and I think it's because Arrival does that world building and explaining in a similar way. It's interesting that you just mentioned Arrival, because I was just about to bring up that episode that we spoke about that, because in there I was talking about this new renaissance Renaissance. of of directors. Yeah. Um, In order to not repeat myself on that, here's what I had to say on that episode. I really think that in the last five years or so of cinema, we're really seeing a resurgence of great artistic films. 
Mm. You were coming into like a new renaissance for great directors who are making a name for themselves and setting their own style. I think if you look back to the late 70s and the early 80s, you've got directors like Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg, Ridley Scott, even James Cameron, Brian De Palma. These men were really doing things that no one had really done on cinema before. And you can feel, too, that even though their styles, like, they're all completely different and this is completely different, there's something there. They're doing their own thing and they're making their own classics, really. Yeah, like, there's some essence of a similar flavor that I'm feeling with some of those older films that I've watched. And I think it's just that, like, they're not following any bandwagon of trends you know they're just they're taking something and they're creating something really fantastic with it and they're just going with it yeah and i think we're we're seeing that again with people like Villeneuve. you've got like alfonso Cuaron, who did children of man and gravity and and that new uh roma movie that came out recently there's also like christopher nolan who we know, know is very good for like inception and the dark knight trilogy interstellar you do? <laughs> I really like Christopher. Well, people like Damien Chazelle, who did Whip- Whiplash and La La Land in that new First Man movie with Ryan Gosling. There's uh, Alejandro Inarritu, who did The Revenant and Birdman, who got Best Director two years in a row. And you've got someone like Denis Villeneuve, who did Sicario and Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival. It's these handful of directors that are really shaping the way for the future. And I think in like 20 years, they'll be the Martin Scorsese and the Steven Spielberg. When you look back at their works, yes, those men are still making films now they're sort of here or there or whatever but they're still doing things that people haven't done before and i would really like to see where they go these people have really got me in a sort of mindset where i'm hooked like everything that you come out with from now on i'm gonna see it everything that christopher nolan makes or alejandro Inarritu, you know it's just these people that just make these great artistic films that are really bringing it back and i think it's films like this that are really paving the way for that They've all got that same kind of feel, hey. Yeah. But it's like... It's called film. (laughs) But it's like, um, it's dark and it's raw and it's real. Like, when I think of all those movies, they've all got a similar feel. Like, when I think of these movies, I think of Christopher Nolan, like, it's amazing that he did it with Batman. Honestly, because able to get that DC property and make a Christopher Nolan movie, yeah, like that's impressive, and it and it works so fucking well. But I think about Batman, I think about Inception, I think about Arrival, I think about The Revenant. None of these are like your typical Hollywood blockbusters. We got to see Roma. Really good movies, you know. They're really good, and again, you always jump into it fully formed. I just, I like that. That's a sign. I guess that's now for me a sign of a good movie is that like, I just rock up and I'm like, what's going on? Oh, this is going on. Okay, let's go on this journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that. We got to see Roma, you said. Yeah, I believe that's Alfonso Cuaron who did uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. He did Gravity. I don't um, think I've seen Gravity. Again, didn't Gravity and Interstellar come out in the same year? Probably, yeah. And they're both about space. That's the one with uh, Sandra Bullock in it, isn't yeah, it? And yeah, Tony. I never saw that. I always get Interstellar and The Martian mixed up they're... because they both have Matt Damon and Jessica yeah. Chastain. Oh, do they both have Jessica Chastain in Yeah. Hmm. Yes, yeah, they do. That very much feels like a Christopher Nolan movie, too. I'm yeah. just thinking, like... Who did Interstellar? Christopher Nolan. Oh, he did, eh? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I thought so. Um, Because, man... Even just to write the screenplay, you must be so smart just to think of all these little story arcs and loops. I 
I would be so curious to sit down with either a best-selling author or like somebody like him who writes their own stuff or even like Tarantino. You know what I mean? Like somebody who is like Tarantino is weird though. Oh yeah. (laughs) I just to sit down with them and say like, how do you like, where do these ideas come from? Because it has to start from something and then you'd have to start compiling it. You know what I mean? And for whatever reason, this is drawing to my mind an interview I saw with Eminem and how a lot of his writing, he just, he always has bits of paper around him in case he comes up with a line. And so he'll have just boxes of just bits of paper with lines on them and he'll draw on all of this writing that he's done to compile a rap. You know what I mean? Like Mm. it could be bits and pieces from wherever and they just fit together. So he doesn't necessarily just sit down and write it out full formed. He'll have all sorts of resources that he's created for himself at his disposal all the time. So I'm just wondering, like, do you compose a story the same way? Like, do you just, you have an idea of like, you know, you see a painting on a wall and you put some description down and then you can pull on that to put it into a story later or something. You know what I mean? I'm just... I see what you're saying. I think Tarantino was inspired heavily by previous movies and things that he's seen. Mm. And he probably compiled them in a similar way that you were describing just then. Um, but I know Christopher Nolan works with his brother a lot, Jonathan Nolan. He did the screenplay for Interstellar. and Jonathan he- Nolan? Yes. Okay. And he also... I- I believe he did Memento, which was Christopher Nolan's second movie from the 90s. Um, and that is a very unique movie as well. So the, I think the difference between Christopher Nolan and the other two artists that you said is that these are such different properties. Mm-hmm. You've got Inception, which is about going into dream spaces. You've got Interstellar, which is like... Going into space going spaces. Going through like <laughs> yeah. wormholes and things. Yeah. You've got... His next one was Dunkirk, which was a World War II movie based on a true story. You've got a DC property in there, Batman. The Prestige is about it's, magicians. It's so weird because they're all so different. They're but very they're different. so all obviously Christopher Nolan. Yeah. He's got a flavor. And I don't even want to call it a style because it's it's more than that. It's a taste. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I think one of the big defining things that I love about Christopher Nolan is he does massive set pieces physically. He does these things. Like the rotating hallway. Like the hallway in Inception, yeah. So he, what he did there, which... If you have seen the movie, mm. this isn't a spoiler, they flip the room and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like fighting these guys. Basically, it's a big barrel of a room that they've created and they spin it while the actors are inside. So that it looks like gravity keeps changing direction. Yeah. They- because the camera spins... It spins with the walls so that it, it looks like it's always the same camera angle, but these guys yeah. are flipping around. It's so Brilliant. clever. That's why it got cinematography. <laughs> when... They show up on the shore and the buildings are falling down. That didn't look like CG to me. That must have been CG, though. I'm talking about these big set pieces where you've got the actors in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember at the beginning, I'm just going to real quick say about the rotating hall scene as well. Mm. They also had a rig that was vertical so people could fall through it. And that's where the the zero G scenes came from because they had wires on it. So there was one that rotated and one that was vertical. Anyway, they, they create these great things. The opening scene of The Dark Knight Rises, there's a scene where Bane is infiltrating this plane while it's moving, and essentially they rip one of the ends off the plane, and it's like dangling from the sky. That was all practical. They actually did that with actors in there and stuntmen. 
Um, there was a scene from The Dark Knight itself where they flip a uh, 18-wheeler, you know what I mean? This whole rig just flips on its on its side. And I just think that's very much what Christopher Nolan is very good at. Well, and the thing is that, like, it makes for such good shots because you don't have to recreate it and figure out how it would actually look because yeah, you've it's done real. it. You must have some, like, massive insurance policy. Like, how do you get insured to do that stuff? You know what I mean? How do you get yeah, someone I'm to say, really like, sure. yeah, we'll pay you out if you screw it up? They do all these things all the time. Look at the mm. Mission Impossible movies. Imagine, mm. imagine the insurance on Tom Cruise when he's actually jumping out of these things. I wonder if he got any compensation when he broke his ankle. I would imagine so, and I imagine the studio would as well because they had to postpone. Stop sh- filming, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can just imagine the insurance policies on a, on a thing like that. How much did Disney get for Carrie Fisher? Ooh, that's a good question yeah. as well. That's an interesting yeah. rabbit hole. Um, I'm not really sure. I love these conversations because we kind of bounce all over the place, and I think it's all actually relevant, even though not any of this has to do with Inception. It really, it's like, we haven't even actually like gone meta. into the movie yet. You know, it's like, it's para. It's we always around. do like an establishing conversation before we get into it, because we can't always assume that the audience has all this worldly knowledge on cinema. We want you to be able to listen without knowing that you're an expert in cinema, you know? Because here's the thing, y'all, like... What if you've never heard of Christopher Nolan? Well, yeah, and the thing is, I hadn't, right? The whole purpose of this podcast is to have conversations between Brenton, who does know a lot about films and does know a lot about directors, and me, who knows next to fuck all. (laughs) You know what I mean? Anything I do know, I learned from him because he taught me. So the point is that we want you to reach out and ask questions and learn because that's what this is all about because that's what I'm actively doing going through this journey. That's why last week on Empire Strikes Back, a 40-year-old movie of Star Wars, we still had a spoiler and non-spoiler section just in case you don't know what happens in that movie. You can't make that assumption. Because there's lots of people like, I didn't watch Star Wars until I was 20 years old. We were all there at one point, you know what I mean? Um. And that's why at the beginning of every episode, I say we discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen, because you might not ever have seen it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's fine. That being said, I don't think that we're going to do this movie as a spoiler and spoiler-free zone. This is kind of the spoiler-free zone. Um, Going any further than this, we're just going to go and assume that you've seen it, because... Um, there's not really a defined moment where there's a twist or anything like that. Um, it's quite gradual. There's only really one kind of part. You kind of already have an idea about that anyway. So if you want a spoiler-free warning, this is it. We're getting into spoilers now, even though there's not really much. Go watch the movie and then come back and listen to the rest. <laughs> I was just kind of trying to get my head around what is the actual story of this? Or did you want to... Well, what order I, do you want to do this in? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. So, it's been several years since I've seen this, well, and, and you've seen it more recently. I was going to say, for whatever reason, like, I remembered most of it. Like, I remembered pretty much the whole concept fully formed still, for whatever reason, even though it's been a couple of years since I'd seen this movie. So, yeah. Well, I remember a lot of the scenes. I just don't remember what was happening in the scenes and why the characters were doing what they're doing. So... Okay, let me just let me just understand this, right? Mm. Leo DiCaprio's character was approached by a very wealthy businessman in order to tell um, Killian Murphy's character, who's that Fisher Fisher Junior. Fisher, yeah, Fisher, yeah, that's his yeah. name. Um, 
to convince him to break up his father's empire, right? Because he's the heir to, like, a billionaire Yeah, empire. so Cobb has a team, mm-hmm. and he has to recruit Ellen Page as the architect. Okay, so the first level, whose dream do they go in okay. when they're on the plane? So the point is that he's an expert dream extractor. Yep. So he can go into people's minds during their dream state and extract sensitive information for no, and I, other I got people all that. pay for him to do that. So he's approached by Saito to go in and not extract, but incept. So to plant an idea, which mm. is very hard and most people can't do. Everyone thinks it's impossible. And he's like, no, I can do it. We're going to do this. Cool. All right. So whose dream do they go into in the first? I, I wrote this down. They go so many levels deep, which most people don't believe that you can do. Let me, like, my understanding of the film okay. and you confirm whether or okay. not that's what you've written down. Can you confirm who, whose dream was it when they went on the plane? Yusuf, the chemist. The chemist, right. So, because he's the one driving yep. the van in the next level down, the- so therefore he's able to control it better? Yes. So, the way I figured it out is that the one who stays awake and behind in the previous level, that's their dream. Because how can you go into a dream within your own dream? You know what I mean? I suppose. Yeah. So then they go into uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and he's in the van. He's Arthur. Yep. Arthur. See, I don't even remember the names. So then they're in- Ellen Page's name's really weird. It's like Adrian Ariadne. Oh. It's a- It's an old Greek word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, I'm trying to remember who, like, what goddess that is. It's yeah. a Greek goddess. I think the name Cobb means, uh, means god or creator or something. That's I interesting. I think it's Greek. And I know um, Tom Hardy's character Eames is, is um, after Charles and Ray Eames, the architects. They're very, very famous architects. Interesting little nods there. Hey, yeah, I really love his character. I love Tom Hardy. Before we get any further He's into that, chameleon. I just want to talk about the acting. Yeah, we watched The Revenant only a couple of weeks ago, both with Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio in it again. And I mentioned in that episode that I actually prefer Tom Hardy's performance to Leo DiCaprio's, even though DiCaprio won Oscar. I just love Tom Hardy in that movie, just the way he puts that character on. And even though I think Leo DiCaprio is great in Inception, and he was one of my favorite actors for quite a long time, Tom Hardy, he's... Leo DiCaprio is acting. He's perfectly fine. Tom Hardy creates a character. I was going to say, he embodies a character. He puts on a character. Like, the first four or five movies that I saw Tom Hardy in... Completely I was like, different. is that even the same actor? Yeah. He puts on an accent. He puts on this persona. He's well, acting. Because here's the thing. every Pretty much everything I've seen Leo DiCaprio in, you know it's Leo. Like, he's kind of doing it the same way. Yeah, I'm trying everything, to think of an exception. Maybe Shutter Island. No, he's still doing his really. Leo thing there. Yeah. Um, with Tom Hardy, everything I've seen him in, he's been completely different. Yeah. Like, just even comparing Eames to... What was his character's name in The Revenant? Fitzgerald. Yeah. One's like this hillbilly, and one's like this clean-cut Brit. Like, how can you get any further apart on the spectrum? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just crazy. See, The Revenant is probably Leo's most outstanding role in that sense. Because he couldn't talk. it's still sort of a Leo version of it. Yeah. I think he's a great actor. He deserved the Oscar, but it's like... I don't know, Tom Hardy's on another level here, I reckon. Mm. I put him in the same sort of character as Jared Leto, who is an Oscar winner. Um, He was in 
Fight Club. He was uh, in Suicide Squad. He was in Dallas Buyers Club, which is what he won the Oscar for. The first, like, ten times I saw that guy, completely different. And then you would see him on his live concerts with uh, 30 Seconds to Mars, and he's got, like, a bleach blonde mohawk or something. You know what I mean? Like, he is a chameleon, Mm. and he's probably a bit too far. He went, like really method and crazy for some of the roles um you don't need to go for that level but i put him in the same sort of boat as an actor sort of going to a new level gary oldman is another example I that guy's a chameleon johnny depp is another example too yeah, sometimes johnny depp often does his johnny depp thing though he's got he's got a flavor but he can turn it off I think it's just because he can play so many different characters so well, but I I get what you're saying. Like, you always know it's Johnny Depp. You don't always know that it's Tom Hardy. Yeah, I really like Tom Hardy in this role more than Leo, even though Leo's perfectly fine. I think this was actually the first time where... You know how when you get to know an actor and you're like, okay, I recognize this person. This is the movie that I realized for the first time that this was that person and it's the movie. This was the movie I recognized tom hardy from see i had already seen inception and dark knight rises and something else when i realized okay who is this tom hardy people people keep talking about You're like, oh it's that and guy? i look over the filmography and i'm like i've seen all these movies i don't remember this guy being in there yeah um and i thought that that's a cool sign um that he's a he's a good actor mm-hmm. anyway getting back to the levels so <laughs> so we go Yusuf, who's the chemist. Yep. Then we go Arthur or Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is the... What's his job? I don't know, because everyone in the team has a particular role. I think he's just the... Like, just another extractor. Like, that's just his job. He's kind of on the same level as Cobb. And then we go Eames, or Tom Hardy's character, who's the forger. So he's specifically recruited to be... See, able you, to embody characters. You said forger, like he forges documents. That's that's what. Um, you said forager, as if you're like foraging for berries. No, forger. <laughs> okay, he's a forager. It's for- still. I'm still hearing forager. forager. <laughs> Get those berries. What am I trying to say? Um, he's a counterfeiter. There you go. <laughs> um, Sounds like he's fitting counters. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Th- that's the level that they're supposed to go to. That's the deepest they're supposed to go. So from which, reality, which this? they go from reality to a dream, to a dream within a dream, to a dream within a dream within a dream. Which is the snow plateau. Yes. Which is Tom Hardy's character. Yes. His dream. His right. dream. Then some shit goes wrong and they have to go deeper and they go into Cobb's dream. So now, this is the deepest anyone has ever been into the dream space, and he literally called it the shores of his subconscious, which is why they show up on a shore of an ocean. Yeah. Right? Is that not limbo? Yes, it is. You get trapped there. Okay, so it goes from being a dream to being in limbo, which is a big deal. That's like when you're trapped within your own mind, and you can't ever get back to reality. So I would imagine that would be deeper, like, to compare it to something in reality, it's deeper still than being in psychosis all the time. It'd be like being in a hallucination all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like a bad acid trip. Well, even then, you have some sort of grasp on reality because you're reacting to the world around you. 
I'd say it's like being in a drug-induced bad dream. Yeah. Does that well, make sense? Well, that's essentially what they are. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Because people say, you know, like, oh, I can't take morphine or whatever because it just gives me bad dreams. I've heard yeah. that from a lot of people. Um, where you just you close your eyes and you're in another world and you open them and you're in this world. So I'd imagine it'd be something like that. So if you normally die in a dream, you wake up. But because they're so heavily sedated, if you die in these dreams, you go into limbo. Which is that deepest level of subconscious. What happens if you die in limbo? Nothing. They woke up. Okay. See, that's where I'm like, why would you stay in limbo for 50 years if you can just kill yourself? Are you like, oh, okay, I'm in limbo now. I'm going to kill myself. Well, and the thing that doesn't make sense either is that Saito went into his limbo, but Ariadne woke up in the next level. Yeah. You know? Well, Cobb and uh, Saito went into limbo pretty much at the same time, and yet one's an old man and the other one's not. They didn't go in at the same time. He died quite a few minutes before they went under, and that's a long time in that next level. You know what I mean? Right. So it's literally years. I'm just thinking, like, they put limbo as, like, a very serious thing to get into, and you don't want to get in there, like, at all, because you'll be trapped and your brain will turn to mush. Well, and you forget, the the reason is because you forget that this isn't reality. Yes, you, you get chained, like, you get confused between what's real and what's not. But as soon as you realize you're in limbo, why don't you just kill yourself? Or is that where the confusion comes in? Because you're like, am I in limbo? Surely you know that well, you're in limbo. That's what happened to Maul. She didn't quite believe. But that's because she was living in limbo for 50 years. Mm -hmm. That became her reality. Yeah. I just don't understand why. Because they eventually woke up because they got hit by a train. Why didn't you just do that when you first got there? Because they, the, the two of them, when they went there the first time, they went there on purpose. They wanted to see what it was all about. He, he said, I always wanted to push it further and further. To go explore, to see. So they wanted to be there for 50 years. I don't know that they wanted to be there for 50 years, um, but they wanted to be there, period. They wanted to be there for a certain amount of time. I think he wanted to leave earlier because he had a better grasp on what was real and what was not, and she got lost and confused. And that's why he had to go in and plant that idea in her head to make her comfortable with the idea of leaving. But in doing that, like he said, he infected her mind. Right. Right. So she was the one who framed Cobb for her murder in order for him to kill himself. With her. Yeah. So she was she was planning to kill herself. Because she wrote a letter saying yep. that Cobb was the one killing her. So that would um, make Cobb also kill himself with her? Is that what Yeah. She said, was? I wanted you to be free of all guilt about leaving our children. Like she framed him so that he would basically have no choice but to follow her. And so he wouldn't feel bad because she's like, no, you're confused. This isn't reality. Because he incepted that idea that her world wasn't real. And like he said, I didn't realize that that would follow her into reality. Yeah. Right? It gets very deep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, how would you even write that? Like, exactly. That's, that's a very interesting mm -hmm. uh, concept. So the architect, Ellen Page, she... She designs these areas and teaches each person their level. Yes. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt knew the hell out of the hotel because area. Because that's his dream. Right. He has to know it. And that's why Cobb says when they're in the snow, like on the mountain, he said, did Eames change anything? 
Yes. Yes, he added an air duct to get through the maze. How, how much time do you have to study this area to know the ins and outs of it? How do you convince they someone else been... of your design so thoroughly? Well, they're trained to be able to do this, right? Like, it's their job. They, It's their specialty, so they, they'd they be able to pick it up more quickly than regular people. And th- I'd imagine they'd have a, some time to do this. Like, it looked like it happened over about a week or something. I imagine that this learning and everything that she had to do took place over a month. You would have to learn all of the floor plans and layouts of every single level of those buildings. And the details. You'd have to learn that this is what these lights look like. Oh, I'm just thinking, like... The best way to do that is immerse them in VR or playing a video game over and over again in the same level. Yeah. You would re- remember it very well um, because some, some of these professional video game players know the ins and outs of all of these levels. Um, but just by looking at models and floor plans, I just it's hard to get those details. That's clever, actually, to model and create 3D and VR versions. You would have to have 3D models on the computer anyway. Maybe they do that. They didn't go into that part of it. It wasn't necessary, but... For- well, even to how do you design paradoxes into your plans so that you can show this is what where the paradox is in my design, remember it. Yeah. Because... Yeah, then how know. do you turn off the paradox like Arthur did when he pushed the guy down the stairs? Yeah. I'm not sure. That That's a little confusing with me. I feel like when this movie came out uh, and a couple of years after it, Pretty much the only criticism that the movie got was it's too confusing. And I think it is to some degree, but as long as you think about it and watch it at least two times, you'll you get it, you know. I was going to say I've seen I found The Godfather way more confusing yeah. than this. So There was an episode of South Park where they're taking the piss out of Inception and how confusing it is. And they're like just because it's confusing doesn't mean it's smart, and I I, I disagree. Yeah. In the sense that this is very, very smart, smart and confusing. Why would Cobb, after being in limbo for 50 years and losing his wife to this, mm-hmm. still go back into incepting people and still want to go levels deep? I would be... Because when he lost her, like he said, this is the only skill I have. Right. Right? Like his... Is that his father? I think that's his father who taught him this. Who is that architect? Yeah, the, the professor. Yeah. Michael Caine. Yeah. I think that's his dad. Yes. Um... His dad taught him how to do this. No, um, I, I can see that if it's his only skill and he's very good at it. Well, and the th- he's the best, yeah. right? And he's on the run. So you're going to use whatever you have at your disposal and True. people are willing to pay a lot of money for him to do this, right? So why would he do it? Because it's the only thing he can do and it puts him in, in contact with a lot of powerful people who might perhaps be able to get him back to the United States and clear his charges so i can see exactly why he would do this can you imagine being in the same place for 50 years not knowing what's real and what's not in limbo well see the thing is he had a very clear grasp on what is real and what is not i don't think he did because he always frantically has to mess with his totem to just check if he's still in reality because it messed with him Hmm. um have you ever seen the movie groundhog day with bill murray you have yes do you know it well? Relatively. Okay, it's interesting that you've seen that. Yeah. Because the premise there is that Bill Murray's character plays the same day over and over again. Yeah, and he kills himself and he, he kills himself up again. over and over again, yeah. but he can't get out of it. He's essentially stuck in limbo. Yeah. He's stuck living this whole thing over and over again. And I always thought watching that movie that because of the whole um, Punxsutawney Phil Groundhog thing, 
they were checking to see if there's six more weeks of winter or whatever. It's a silly rule. Mm-hmm. So I thought he had to live six more weeks of winter the same day over and over again. And when he stops reliving that day, then it's no longer winter anymore. Mm. Right? But what I've actually read online is in order for him to do everything that is shown in that movie over and over again and learn he learns the piano he learns every little ins and outs of what's happening in the town he knows the backstory of everyone he needs to be there doing that same thing over and over again for like thousands of years like in order to do that over and over again it has to be like even the director said it's at least a few hundred years that he's doing this over and over again and I'm just like, man, that must that must be some degree that you just, can't even imagine. You mean like to realistically learn all the stuff that he's learned? Yeah, because okay. that very last day, he's very well known by everyone in the town, and he has he has to do all that in a day. He has to go around the town and establish who he is and be able to do all these things. And I I consider that to be a level of limbo that he's stuck in, living the same thing over and over again. That is a very deep movie, probably more so than the filmmakers intended with that. Um, yeah, because it's just meant to be silly. It is, but yeah. then he also thinks that he's a god. He's like, I don't think I'm the god. I think I'm a god because I'm able to do all these things and I can't explain it and I can't die. And that's It's a very deep movie. And- well, and it would change perception of... Like, why you're there and what you can do and what your purpose is and things It would like change that. you as a person because you've got these old man memories in this young person's body. And that's essentially what uh, Leo DiCaprio is like in Inception. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine having lived another 50 years and then you go back to your young self? That That's just unfathomable to me. Can you imagine that? I know. I wish I could do that. Honestly, I've thought about it before how... Wouldn't it be handy to have had all your experiences and then go back? And then and you can do fix your again. mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Youth is wasted on the young. I just wanted to talk about how I really liked that idea of building a world together. Yeah. They created something really beautiful and just the things they did. So they're like, we didn't have to choose between living in a building and living in a house. We could do both. They created like water features and their street was all of the places that were important to them in their memories that's complete freedom isn't it just to be able to design whatever you want well yeah and it could be exactly whatever you wanted and i i just think that would be such an amazing feeling because i know i'd love to live in a place like that because i feel the same way in that i wish i could live in a house in an apartment because i like the idea of living in a big building and stuff too um i'm pretty sure you can do that in minecraft it's not the same (laughs) y'all but yeah it was just really interesting and i liked so many of of the visuals that they created so they're building the houses like they're building the blocks of sand and they push one over and the whole big one tumbles at the same time do you remember yeah. that shot or just some of the shots where like eames he's in the mirror and you look and you see one one of his face and the rest isn't his face and then you should turn back and it, he's himself again not the character he's embodying. yeah there's some really cool shots in there or, there's a pan where, like, before something cuts in front of the camera, he's one person, but then he's another kind of thing. Like, it's just, yeah. there's a lot of really cool effects that I really appreciated about this movie. Another one of those big set pieces I'm just remembering now is the freight train down the middle of the street. Yeah. Because that was all practical as well. That's crazy. Um, That's really cool. It's just Christopher Nolan's touch on it. I think this is a very good movie, and I would recommend it to anyone but I don't think I enjoy watching it because 
like I said, I've only seen it once in the last nine years because I haven't had a desire to watch it. I think it's a very good movie, but I don't. it doesn't pull me in to watch it over and over again. See, and I guess it's kind of the same for me, but I, I liked watching this. And it went a lot quicker than I realized. And I wonder if that's an effect that they did on purpose. Yeah. To be like, you know, because when you're in the dream, your mind operates a lot faster. It was a two and a half hour movie, but it didn't feel like it. Yeah. I wonder if Christopher Nolan's ever made a movie not two hour and a half hours. His movies are always so long. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, check us out on all the socials, and comment on SoundCloud. And until next week, thanks for listening.